0: Hey there! Welcome to episode 49 of the Authors Read podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Robert McCaw, and he'll read from his book, Fire and Vengeance. I'm Bob McCaw, and this is my book, Fire and Vengeance. Chapter 1. Disaster rode the gale-force winds of Hurricane Ida across the big island of Hawaii from the southwest. Ferocious gusts felled century-old trees. Sonic booms of thunder chased lightning bolts sparking through ominous black clouds. Torrential rains pounded the mountains, filling gulches and gathering into flash floods. On Hualalai Mountain, one of the five volcanoes that make up Hawaii Island, 10 inches of rain fell in a single hour Water cascaded into cracks and caverns, pouring deep into the earth. The pressure of the floodwaters opened long sealed fissures in the faults on the west side of the Hualalai. Water entered the volcano's magma reservoir and flashed into steam. Steam under astronomical pressure. Catastrophe struck. Devastating news flashed through the Hilo police headquarters. Disaster at Konawili School on Hawala Mountain. Dead kids, injured children, stricken teachers, panicky reports of a mass shooter, a terrorist bomb, a deadly poison gas attack, or something even more sinister. Confusion swirled like the storm still raging. Conflicting disaster scenarios swarmed the airways as Chief Detective Koakane, Sergeant Baza, and four patrolmen dashed through the downpour to the police helicopter. Why does shit always happen when the chief is off-island? Normally, Hawaii Police Chief S.H. Renua took the lead in disasters, but not today. The chief was preparing for surgery in California. COA would be the senior police officer at the scene. At least he had Sergeant Baza, whose piercing dark eyes missed nothing. The 35-year-old bear-like police sergeant was one of 10 brothers, all immensely proud of their Portuguese heritage. No one in the police department topped Baza for reliability under pressure. In a crisis... He stood like lava against every tsunami. What the hell happened inside the school? Koa asked himself as the chopper rocked and bounced through the vicious wind and pelting rain. When the Hilo rounded Hawaii Mountain, an 8,000-foot volcano towering over Kona on the west side of the island, Koa glimpsed the elementary school through the driving rain. Emergency lights flashed from fire trucks, rescue vehicles, and ambulances. Dirty yellow smoke obscured the south end of the year-old elementary school. More emergency vehicles, lights blazing on and off, converged on the scene from nearby Kona. The chopper's radio squawked horrific news. More than 50 children and teachers, dead or injured, The mayor had activated the disaster management plan for the western side of the island. 911 operators were alerting all medical personnel to report to their emergency stations. Wind slammed the police helicopter while it circled the school grounds, waiting for a fire department medevac chopper to lift off and another to land on the flooded athletic field. Koa saw dozens of kids on the soaked ground in front of the school, some on stretchers, and others lying helpless where they'd been dragged. He'd seen children bloodied during his Special Forces days in Afghanistan, children caught in the crossfire, youngsters killed by misplaced bombs. The sight sickened him then, but not like this. This was America. Kids should be safe in school. Instead, they were dead or dying. When the police chopper settled onto the soggy softball diamond and Koa slid the door open, an overpowering smell of noxious gases washed over him, burning his nostrils and making his eyes water. He knew the awful smell. Nearly everyone on the big island knew the odor of volcanic gases. But the stench was strangely out of place. Koa glanced up toward the top of Hualalai. The volcano hadn't erupted in over 200 years, but it wasn't extinct. Had Pele, the Hawaiian goddess of volcanic fury, erupted under Kona Whealy Elementary School, if Hualalai went up, lava could rush down its steep slopes, cutting highways, disrupting disrupting electrical power destroying keoli airport and propelling death through the streets of kona the thought made him shudder despite the torrential rain thundering like a waterfall firemen with two and a half inch hoses shot cannons of water onto the south end of the school building in defiance the water vaporized before it touched the building creating superheated clouds of steam whipped in all directions by the wicked makani, the wicked winds. Try as they might, firefighters could not get close to the south end of the building. No amount of water dented the inferno. Koa ordered the police helicopter back to Hilo for reinforcements before fastening his poncho and dashing into the foul weather. Chaos reigned around him. People ran everywhere. Kids and teachers screamed. Since he didn't yet know what had happened, Koa designated the whole area a potential crime scene. He assigned Baza and his patrolmen, along with other cops from Kona, to set up a cordon around the school. The five-foot-eight barrel-chested sergeant swung into action. Koa ran toward the building. Firefighters in protective gear and breathing tanks, along with EMTs, policemen with bandanas over their faces, dashed into the north end of the building, the end away from the inferno. Others carried children from the building to a pair of rain-clad triage nurses who categorized the injured, green tags for the walking wounded. Yellow tags for the injured, not in immediate danger. Red tags for the critical. And black tags for the dead. Way too many red and black tags. Black-tagged children lay in a row on the wet grass. Unconscious but still breathing children occupied stretchers covered with makeshift ponchos waiting for ambulances or medevac helicopters. Youngsters suffering only mild signs of distress straggled toward buses four blocks from the school guided by a phalanx of teachers anything to get the kids away from the crippled school and out of the driving rain teachers some with rain protection but many soaked to the skin moved from one group to another trying to account for all the students even as koa watched more doctors ems and nursing personnel poured in to help stabilize the situation. appalled called Hawaii Mayor George Tanaka, stunning him with the gruesome scope of the disaster. The mayor, saying, this is the damned education department. That makes it Meho's problem, hooked Governor Bobby Meho into the call. Koa focused on the most urgent problem. We need statewide disaster help. A rumble of tearing metal distracted Koa as a portion of the school's roof ripped away. There aren't enough doctors or medical facilities on the Big Island to treat the injured. He heard the governor instruct his staff to alert Maui Memorial Hospital and Queens Medical Center in Honolulu to prepare to receive patients. Koa then requested additional medevac helicopters to airlift wounded children. What the hell happened, the Governor demanded? No one knows, Governor, but it smells volcanic. The heat is horrific if hawalalei erupts, thousands of people in and around Kona are in harm, are in harm's way. You should put the National Guard on alert. Jesus, the Governor responded, Both he and the Mayor fired more questions, but Koa had no answers. The politicians demanded hourly updates, and the call ended. Harry Ohi, the short, squat, titanium-tough Kona area deputy fire chief, trotted by, heading into the damaged building as fast as his bulky gear allowed. Come on, he yelled over his shoulder, still got Kiki inside, using the Hawaiian word for children. Koa covered his face with a handkerchief, like other police officers trying to rescue children, and sprinted after O'Hai. We've cleared the north end, but not the south classrooms, O'Hai shouted. Inside they turned down the south hall. Thick yellow smoke billowed at them. Heat blasted Kona's face. O'Hai turned into the first classroom. Koa ran straight into the thick yellow smoke. The rotten egg stench overpowered all other smells. He began to choke and drop to the floor as though back on the battlefield, crawling under the worst of the fumes. The building rumbled. The floor vibrated. Turning into a classroom marked first grade, he saw a child lying on the floor ahead of him. He scrambled forward, grabbed hold of the child, a little girl, and pulled her toward the door. At the doorway, he scooped her up into his arms, holding her tight to his chest. He felt her shallow breathing, still alive. Crouching low, he dashed down the hallway. Coughing from the aesthetic smoke, he carried the first grader to safety. Handing the child over to a teacher, he raced back into the building. The smoke had grown thicker, and he again crawled down the hallway. The floor grew hot. His eyes burned. He scrambled past the first two classrooms before turning into another. The building shook. A deep, growling sound reverberated. He couldn't see. He banged into a desk. Then something soft. Another kiki. Choking uncontrollably, he became disoriented. Which way to the door? Clenching his teeth, he told himself not to panic. That instinct to remain in control had saved him many times. Clutching the limp child, he inched forward. When he hit a wall, he followed it until he reached the door. A hacking cough racked his chest. He made it into the hall. Barely able to stand, he hauled the child into his arms and stumbled forward. His eyes, the inside of his nostrils, and his throat burned like acid. The hallway seemed to go on forever. He wasn't sure he'd make it out. Finally, he reached the entrance and stumbled outside. His lungs were on fire. A teacher rushed rushed forward to take the child from his arms. Koa gasped for air. He couldn't breathe. He felt his legs go weak. The world turned gray, and he collapsed. I'd like to thank Robert for sharing his book with us today, and thank you for listening to the Author's Read podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time!